Hey, tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights, and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, please welcome your host, Shane. Hi, and welcome to episode 31 of the Tourpreneur Podcast. Got something very different lined up for you today with our very first Ask the Expert session because one of the dreams I've had for Tourpreneur is where we can look at a challenge that a tourpreneur is experiencing, bring on some experts and, and try and coach the tourpreneur through that challenge where we're all listening, we can all learn, and we can all contribute via our Tourpreneur Insiders Facebook group. Today, we're joined by Olga. Hi, Olga. Hello there, Shane. Very excited to be here. Fantastic. So you are from Cobble Tales Tours in Edinburgh, and you have a specific challenge for us. Do you want to share what that challenge is? Yes, of course. So my background is uh, I've studied architecture and history has been always my passion. So when I came to Edinburgh, I, as a newcomer, I just had all these questions about how the city has, uh, has grown, how it's developed. And in some time, I have built a tour, an architecture tour about the city. Since it's very well preserved, uh, we are able to use architecture as an explanation for the history. So use the street layouts, use the architectural details, use the patterns, the materials of buildings to explain how the city has developed. So basically the tour is for architects and architectural enthusiasts. But my struggle is uh, getting the word out to those enthusiasts who are the majority of the tourists in Edinburgh. So people may not necessarily know that uh, there is such a thing as architectural tours or that there is an architecture tour in Edinburgh. This is not Chicago, where architecture tour is already a popular category. So people who do find us, they find us by Googling architecture tour Edinburgh. So all is good there. We're the first uh, on Google. And so people who do look for architecture tours, they find us. However, other travelers who uh, might very well be interested in our tours, it's usually somebody who is uh, very well-educated, traveled, well-read. Uh, you know, they're curious. They are uh, inquisitive about why cities look the way they do. There's loads of them in Edinburgh. However, uh, they may not know to look for an architecture tour. And this is where uh, we kind of lose uh, the potential to reach them. So my question is, how do I reach people who do not know that there is an architecture tour in Edinburgh? Fantastic question. And it's one we get a lot here because it's a challenge that many tourpreneurs are experiencing, especially those with more specialized tours. And I'm thinking of Brian, who runs the Spy Tours Intelligence Trail in London. Uh, there's Jeff running donut tours in Chicago. No one is going to Chicago and London and looking for donut tours or spy tours. Uh, as you say, in Chicago, definitely looking for 
architecture tours. And maybe when I go to Edinburgh, I'm looking for a whiskey tour, for instance. You know, you automatically assume that with whiskey. We're joined by Ben. Ben is uh, unique in that he is a digital marketing expert and he's also a tourpreneur. Welcome to the show, Ben. Great to be here, Shane. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, thank you. I know it's 7 a.m. here in Vermont. It's midday in Edinburgh and it's 10 o'clock at night in Australia. So this is a truly global episode we're producing today. So thank you for staying up late for us. Can you share a little bit more about your digital marketing background and tell us more about your tours? Yeah, sure. So um, I'll start with the background. I had a, a journo background, was my first profession and did that for about eight years, uh, worked across various publications. I worked a bit overseas and, and home. And then I went traveling and uh, lived in London for a little bit. And then on the way back, I wasn't quite ready to face reality. So I ended up getting a job as a tour guide with a company called Bus About and I did a season with them. Luckily, I met my now wife, then girlfriend on the way back. And then uh, we came back to Melbourne and, and resettled. And then um, we did a bit more traveling over the coming years. And then eventually we, we settled down and I moved away from journalism and, and got into digital marketing and worked for a bunch of agencies for about five years. And I worked across various disciplines, um, public relations, social media marketing, content marketing. And then, yeah, I've only just recently moved from agency to in-house and uh, I'm very grateful. And I've uh, been working for the last couple of years for a wine company as their uh, digital media and, and content uh, manager. Fantastic. It's so rare to meet someone who's a digital marketing expert and, and running tours themselves. And, you know, thank you for, for emailing me to suggest coming on to help Olga today. And also for the many of you who uh, left comments on the Facebook group or who emailed me. So Olga's um, big question here, how do I market my specialized architecture tours to people who want more than just to see things like Edinburgh Castle? So Ben, let's take you back to Edinburgh you're in the Haymarket maybe having a beer and you're talking to Olga about the tour. What advice would you give to Olga around this challenge? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and happy memories of Edinburgh. It's one of my favorite cities. The first thing I'd say is, I guess, having obviously seen your post and then knowing a bit more about the company before I went to Olga's website, I sort of, I guess, what the tours were about. But then I, I guess I tried to land on the website with fresh eyes as a first-time visitor. And I guess the first thing that struck me was, to me, it seems to market itself as an architecture tour rather than a history tour that uses the lens of architecture to tell narrative. So I think for me, it's probably like, I obviously haven't done any of your tours. They, they sound amazing, but it sounds like your product is incredible. Like you're, you're essentially telling history tours through that lens without necessarily, and, and obviously having experts in architecture to tell that story. But I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if they're necessarily architecture tours, they're just history tours with a different bent. But when you first land on that website, you kind of hit with Edinburgh architecture tours. And I guess for a lot of people, they would just assume that, oh, well, this is a tour for architects rather than being a history tour that tells a unique story. Yeah, well, I think it is all just labels, you know, an architecture tour, a history tour. In Edinburgh, we have about two or three contemporary buildings, at least in the old town. So any building that you're going to touch upon is going to be a historical building. And uh, you cannot talk about it without talking about its patrons, about the architects, about the fashion of the day, the lifestyle of the day. So, you know, for example, we look at Edinburgh Newtown and you cannot talk about it without touching up upon enlightenment, which was pretty much the catalyst for it, for this ambition for building the new town. So um, even the contemporary architecture, like the Scottish Parliament, this then has roots in the Scottish culture, in the context. So you will have to speak about the history. So uh, whether a history tour, or an architecture tour, 
when we talk about Edinburgh, it can be the same thing, really. It's just that when we only talk about history, I find that uh, it is not grounded in what you see. So uh, we take a pride in designing a tour where uh, you're not going to talk about anything unless people can see it right next to them. So there is the building and you can ground uh, your dialogue on what the people see right in front of them. Yeah. So instead of talking about a person's life, you can then just tell them, okay, so this person who commissioned this building wanted things to be like this. And you show particular windows, particular kind of roofscapes. And that's what it resulted looking as because they lived this particular lifestyle. So they're both tied together. So I think Maybe I'm not just sending that message uh, correctly through my website, as you say, because you do, as you said, you have that uh, kind of fear that perhaps this is just for architects and maybe you will not be able to relate. And the thing I'd say as well is, um, you know, David Ogilvy once said that, you know, 80% of an ad is the headline. And if you're not getting people in the headline, then you're losing 80% of your potential traffic. So I think that headline you have when you first land on a website, that's your most valuable real estate. And ideally, that headline should try and it's also a bit tricky, but it should ideally present a problem and a way to solve it. So I've got a lot of landing pages on digital marketing companies and they always position it like a question or like a problem solved. So I think for you, that real estate at the moment is kind of, it tells you the what, but it doesn't tell you the why. And I think, you know, think about how you can position it. I, mean, I, was, I was trying to think of ideas before, like something like get under Edinburgh's skin with an expert and yeah, sort of as a, as a metaphor for buildings or, but something like that, where you're not just saying who you are, it's what's the problem you're trying to solve here for the people that are coming and why is your offering the best way to help solve that problem? Yes, I think it's a part of the kind of marketing message where it may become confused whether this is for architects or for enthusiasts is because it is technically for both. Another part of our market and a pretty strong one is construction industry professionals who come into the city for study trips. And the one window that we have is, is this website. So I'm also trying to do the job of not making the tour look too generic for them. So it's, it's kind of these two ends of the stick I'm trying to balance. No, no, it's a tough challenge. And that's the thing. I mean, you'll have in your head the, the key markets you want to go after. And, you know, I trying to design a website for all of them is tricky. But I guess as a general yeah, piece of advice, that just really have a think about that headline. And, you know, you may spend an hour on all the other changes you want to make. And you might spend two hours just brainstorming what that particular line will be. And, you know, you can use tools to A-B test to see whether one particular headline works better than another. And, and then there's tools like Hotjar you can use or uh, Crazy Egg, which allow you to test and you can then see which particular version of that headline had a better bounce rate and, and, and a better uh, time on site. So you can you can kind of have a play with that and, you know, test it. Ideally, you should be testing it all, all the time. And then eventually you'll kind of see what seems to be working working overall. So when you talk about the, the headline, you mean the first large H1 piece of text that is sitting on the on the hero image so where it says Architecture Tours of Edinburgh now? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Where it says Edinburgh Architecture Tours. Yeah, that, that's first thing you see when you land on the homepage. Yep. Want to connect with other tourpreneurs? Then join our Facebook group at tourpreneur.com forward slash Facebook. So in my mind, and this is great advice, I, I'm wondering what your thoughts are, Ben, on, so it seems to me Olga's got, you know, different demographics. You've got, as you say, the, the, the real sort of construction professionals who are coming into town who might be turned off by the general tour or what they perceive as for tourists. You know, would it not be possible for you on your homepage just to have, you know, on the left, 
tours for architects or professionals, whichever way you want to call it. Then on the right, something which is, you know, for the more casual visitor. So someone right away can go off on whatever path if they're a construction professional. It's like, oh, this one is for me. And you use certain language. Yeah, that, that's a great call. And that was actually one of the things I was going to say is at the moment you list all of your tours directly on the homepage. And I think for the first time visitor, it can be a bit overwhelming to come to a site, even when I think you've got five or six products, but even to come to a site and be hit with every single product you've got on one page can be confusing for people. So you ideally want to kind of funnel them down and allow a bit of a discoverability as they're landing through. So yeah, to Shane's point, your homepage, you might group your tours together. So you'll have one tile that says tours for travelers, another one that says tours for professionals or, you know, and group them that way. A great piece of advice I had years ago was never give people more than three options. If you are giving them more than three, you better have a bloody good reason for it. And, you know, outside of travel, people like Gordon Ramsay, you know, always go in and say, you know, eight items on the menu, nothing more, you know, and and it's that just keeping it simple. And I think so try and, yeah, definitely move those products. And, and it also helps with your, with your SEO as well, because if you're having a page that's called construction industry tours, you know, that sends a strong signal to Google about how you've themed those tours and, and the same with your other tours. So I think that'd be a great way to um, optimize that homepage as well. The other thing I'd quickly say, because we're going to cover a bunch of stuff today, before you make any changes to the website, just make sure you set a baseline of how the website's currently performing. So go to your Google Analytics, um, which I'm assuming um, you're using, and just take a baseline. And obviously with GA, it's a great free tool, but there's obviously a ton of metrics you can you can get. Because you've been running for a while now, take a, a, at least a 12-month snapshot and look at averages. Um, your main ones you want to look at are like conversion rate, number one, how many people are actually buying stuff that, that come to your site. That's your, your key one. And then other ones I'd look at, just to keep it simple, are metrics which look at how well people are engaging with your site. And that's things like average time on page, average pages per visit, and your bounce rate. So make sure you get all that stuff as a baseline first. And then, you know, obviously for tourpreneurs, it's often, you know, you are the marketer, you are the product manager, you, you know, you're the analyst, but at least you've got that there. So you can look back in, you know, three, six months time and go, oh, that actually, you know, some of what Ben said actually actually helped or maybe it was all garbage. Um, but yeah, you'll, you'll at least be able to, to work to see. So yeah, that's the first thing you do is a lot of people jump in and make changes and then don't know if it's, it's actually worked. Some other stuff I just really quickly just picked up on the homepage, which are just kind of quick fixes. The language abbreviations I actually found a bit confusing at first because maybe it's me being stupid. I thought you could click them and then that would sort of change the language. But then obviously you've got that language option in the top right-hand corner, but it only converts into French, English and Japanese, but you've got more than those languages listed on your homepage. So there might be potential for confusion there where people see you do tours in all these languages, but they can only convert the website into three. Just a, a minor thing might stop confusion. The other thing I'd say is you've got the check availability. I personally don't think that's a strong enough CTA. I would change that to book now because essentially that's what people to do is to take you through to your fair harbour and, and uh, start booking. So check availability sends a weak signal that people are having a look but they're not really wanting to browse, whereas changing that to book now, you actually might find that that alone makes a bit of a change how many people actually make a booking? Okay. The thinking behind it was, um, so some people uh, come in uh, to, to the website with, uh, let's say, the only date they ever uh, they, can, they can have. So I'm coming to Edinburgh on the 3rd of October, and let's see if there is a, a tour on the 3rd of October and what tours are there on the 3rd of October, whereas others who may have more availability 
will want to browse what tours there are and pick one and you know they can do Wednesday or they can do Friday so that was the thinking but uh, I, ca- I can hear what you're saying yeah yeah look and and it all comes down to how punchy a marketer you want to be like for me I yeah. I like being aggressive yeah. and telling people exactly what to do <laughs> so like with the CCAs I'd, I've done for my side you know and when I've well, worked with clients in the past I think you want to be you know, don't think you're being aggressive to people. You're, you're sending the signal that you want them to take. And if they're ready to book, then they'll book. And if they're not, they're not. So you just want to try and, you know, send the message to them so that if they are ready to book, they're not seeing make an appointment or check availability. And, you know, to me, that adds a degree of uncertainty as to whether they might book or not. So you might find people who are ready to book, go to check availability. That almost takes them back a step in their mind frame. So that, that, that's just what I would think. But, yeah, you can um, certainly test that and see if that makes any changes. Okay, thank you. The other thing I'd say, I was having a look through the product pages and the impression I got from it was they told me what you get from the tours but not necessarily why I should buy it. So there's lots of information there, the the sites you're seeing as well as there's no doubt that you've covered all bases in terms of price, time, availability, inclusions. I mean, it's the bread and butter of the tours, right? But I think for me, the thing there was why people should buy. Another great piece of advice I had, a fantastic marketing podcast, which I'd encourage all toolpreneurs to sign up to it's called Marketing School. And it's by a guy, a couple of guys called Neil Patel and Eric Sue. They talk about with your product pages, you want to be answering any potential objections on the product page. So if there's a reason people might not buy your tool, you need to address that on the page itself. Price is an obvious one. So some people uh, will talk about it being great value or perhaps, you know, an offer of if you can find a better tour at the same price, I'll match it. Or you know something that speaks to to that to try and overcome that objection. Another objection might be, I guess, whether it's any good. And, and you've already got reviews in there. You've got fantastic TripAdvisor reviews. You know, you're five star rated. I think you've got 105 five star reviews, and I think two non star non five star reviews. So you you clearly got really happy customers. So as well as the quotes from people, which I think are really important, I put in that TripAdvisor widget, which is just that bit of um, HTML code. I'm assuming you're using WordPress, so you can sort of just throw that in and it's not a huge strain on your on your server. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very naughty though, the TripAdvisor widget, because it doesn't behave the way you want it to. I know. And, and there's different, I know, I had to play around with mine a few times until I got it into a place where I was happy with it. Look, it's it's not the prettiest widget. Like I think I think TA can do some work on that, but I think it sends a really strong visual signal that this is a high quality tool. Brainstorm what are the objections to your tool that people might have, and then think of ways that you can overcome them. The other thing I'd say is there's a lot of text. I mean, it's, it's information rich, but it's it's hard to skim. And I think for any potential customer, they should be landing on that page and be able to skim read and get it within sort of 15, 30 seconds. And I think the way you can do that is make it more visual. So. Think about where you're talking about product inclusions. Think about using icons to help tell that story. So people will be looking for how long it goes for. So you might have an icon of a watch or a clock. And so they know, oh, that's where I look for, for length. Or use uh, imagery to help get information across quicker. You know, we comprehend images quicker than, than text. So try and find ways to replace what's really good content on that page with, with images and icons that can tell the same story in a much kind of faster way. One other thing I noticed is you don't have any videos, Olga. You've got, to, you've got to get some videos up. So all of your product pages should have some kind of sizzle reel to you know, tell the story of the, of the tour. You can get videographers. Uh, I use a freelancer site called Fiverr. Now, F-I-V-E-R-R, yeah. 
And it's a fantastic marketplace for finding cheap, well, not just videographers, but you can find people to do SEO work or you might have some friends or contacts. But the thing with working with videographers is you need to be very explicit in what the outputs are. So if you tell them, oh, I run a tour company and I want some video, you're likely to get anything. So the thing you want to be very clear on is where these videos will sit. And, and for you, it would be obviously on the web uh, and also perhaps on social if you want to put some stuff on Instagram or Facebook. So you want to have a think about, first of all, you want a web video that I would say would be about 30 seconds, probably no more, just really quick punchy, tells a quick story in a 16 by nine ratio, which is just landscape. And then the other ratios you want to get is a four or five ratio, which is for your Facebook and Instagram, if you want to promote that through those channels. And then the other one would be 916, uh, which is for Instagram and Facebook stories. If you want to, because I notice you've got a highlight section on um, your Instagram page. So you could throw up that video into your highlights. So people land on your Instagram page, they can also look at your tours there as well. So it, it can be the same video, just cut in three different ways. But just be very, very specific um, that I want a 30-second web video. I want a 15-second 4x5 video for social. And I want a 9, 16, 15-second as well. So if you're very specific on the outputs, then it'll keep your costs down and you'll be much happier with the product. Okay. So in terms of the videos for, for an architecture tour, what would I be looking for? Do you think it's a, it's a guide? There is a building behind that we're talking about. And then the camera perhaps swooshes to the reaction of the people who have just heard something amazing about this building and had a, an aha moment, something like that. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Like you, you want the video to be shot through the eyes of one of your guests. So, I mean, ideally you get a videographer to join you on one of your tours you know, I think some of those shots will be over the shoulder as your guide is presenting. So, you know, you guess in the foreground blurred and then you'll have the guy talking different angles, close-ups, longer range shots of the whole group. It's essentially you, you want to show someone if you do this tour, this is the experience you're going to get. And, uh, and I wouldn't worry too much about hearing what the guide is saying. You'd probably just have some sort of background track. Also be mindful that unless you're going to produce videos for every single one of your demographics, it has to be fairly generic. So you want to make sure that you're including, you know, all those iconic um, parts of Edinburgh that people will see it and go, oh, great, I know that's an inclusion, right? All, all the hotspots uh, are covered. And, and I guess in your brief, just make sure that they are aware that, you know, we want this from the eyes of, of one of my guests. Does that make sense? Yes, that's, that's how we do with the photos. But so far, we haven't done the videos yet because more or less, I feel it has to be a staged uh, tour. Because otherwise, you know, we we cannot control the weather, we cannot control the traffic, the type of people that you get on the tour, you know, sometimes uh, even with photos, you will take uh, 30, 40 shots, you know, and sometimes somebody is going to be looking the other way. With a video, it's it's all continuous, more or less. So it's even harder to control than photography. So do you think it has to be a staged thing or just get a videographer on a, on a regular tour? So when you say stage, do you mean like kind of putting out the call to your mates? Hey, we're doing a we're doing a tour and kind of like a rent a crowd. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, I, I'd, I'd honestly just do a normal tour because you look. I mean, I know you never know who's going to be on the tour, but the thing I say is obviously make sure that it's it's a reasonable size group. So if you've only got two bookings, I'm not sure how many people you need to run a tour, but make sure it's a full group. And I think you know you obviously can't control everyone who's going to be on the tour, but you're going to get all types. And I think. You know, it's a risk. You get some funny-looking people, but but then again, that's not necessarily a bad thing either to, to to show that you're getting all walks of life coming on the tour. So yes. yeah, I wouldn't bother staging. Just run the tour and then pray for good weather. You know, hopefully you get a good geographer to take some fantastic stuff. 
And I would suggest as well, when you're filming these or you put them together, so to get in the mindset of the booker rather than, you know, wanted to make a Hollywood production. So for instance, if I'm flying all the way to Edinburgh, okay, you may be the only architecture tour in town, Olga, but you are also competing with the Whiskey Trail and numerous other things that are going on in, in Edinburgh. It's not, you know, so you've got to think, well, I'm competing. I may only be in Edinburgh for two days on a European trip. You know, what can you put in that video that's going to make me, first of all, feel I'm going to get value for money, and B, it's the best use of my time in Edinburgh. I, again, I'm not a videographer, but that's the way I'm looking when I'm traveling somewhere. It's like, is this going to be that window of time? Am I going to get the, hate these with ROI when it comes to travel, but, you know, is I'm going to get the best bang for my buck? And if I'm interested in architecture and I see that video, it's like, oh, absolutely. And I, I mentioned Brian earlier on, Intelligence Trail. I mean, I went to London, I think, two years ago, and I read his stuff, and I run a spy book podcast, so I'm really into that. But there are other spy tours and there are other things I can do in London. But it was like, yeah, I really want to go on this guy's tour because he really knows his stuff. He's really passionate. He has four or five different tours in London. And, you know, that's when I decided that I would book the tour with him. And it was a half day tour. It's a lot of time when I'm only in London for two days and I want to see a lot of friends and everything else. So having that mindset, I think, is important. Never miss an episode of the show. Subscribe at tourpreneur.com forward slash subscribe. I also wonder on on that point, we were talking earlier on about segmenting your market, whether you should create also a video, and Ben, I'd love your view on this, a video for the construction professional. So you have one kind of video where you're explaining, hey, this particular tour is not your average tourist uh, tour, as it were, but you know, this really is for construction professionals, maybe making a video like that as well, which you can then use in marketing for all the various construction associations and, and networks, et cetera, might also reassure them. Look, it's a really good point. Yeah, and, and it comes down to budget at the end of the day. So, you know, I mean, for me, on for my company, I've got one overall sizzle reel, which kind of is the, you know, this is who we are, Drinking History Tours. And then I've got individual videos for all of my products. I guess they're different in that, you know, the video should appeal to all of them. But, yeah, it, it's a really good point, Shane. If you, I mean, and I suppose how do you do a video that, does appeal to just that construction in professional group. That's something that you'll know better than me. But you, you might find if you actually sit down and, and work out content that would be in a say a more specific construction video or one that's for a more general public, you actually might find the content isn't that different. But I'd, I'd map that out first, and and if you can see it worth the investment, then I'd go down that path. But I think you know you want to start off with like a minimal viable product build from there a tour i went on a couple of months ago okay admittedly it was in chicago but it was uh by a company called chicago elevated and i I should have sent you the link beforehand i'll I'll do it after the show and that's run by a lady called margaret hicks who's who's been on tourpreneur before but she was talking about her tour guide training so i hate to say this olga i'm not a huge fan of architecture not that I, i don't like it i don't know much about it right so i'm one of these people who probably does want to go to edinburgh and see the castle and greyfriars bobby and but on saying that, when I went to Chicago... <laughs> Shane, you're breaking Olga's heart. <laughs> well, yes. You're not interested in it at all. Uh, but my friends would go on it and I'd go on the whiskey <laughs> tour. So, you know, they're more cerebral than me. But no, but when I went to Chicago, I did the River Architecture Tour because that's what everybody does in Chicago. And I actually really enjoyed that. But there was another tour I went on, Chicago Elevated, called The Lost Language of Buildings. And, and the reason that I mention this is if you go to her website you know the the copy she's using is a lot more alive to me as someone who doesn't think they're interested in architecture but after that tour you know I, I said to my wife I said wow 
that was an amazing tour. I learned so much more about Chicago that I didn't learn on the River Architecture Cruise or on, on any of the other tours we went on. Yeah, that's interesting. Because it was a more intimate tour. And I, and I don't want to spend too long talking about Margaret's tour, but in terms of her marketing and her copy, you know, the lost language of buildings – gargoyles and grotesques creatures and creators demons and knights they're just some of the creatures we'll see on our fun and weird tour every building is designed to convey a message like books or paintings or opera and it was just positioned in a very different way than chicago architecture tour and it appealed to me and i booked it and we really had a fun time okay yeah that sounds really good i was thinking about getting somebody to kind of rewrite my descriptions in a way that perhaps a somebody as a general member of public would uh, find more attractive because i think uh, i write in the way that the architects would find it attractive you know because it is from my perspective so it is uh, possible that uh, we need somebody who is who can just write a great text uh, that will be appealing for the general public and and olga the thing i'd say as well with rewriting web copy before you even get to that stage have you done um, like a brand marketing plan have you kind of sat down and Put, put sort of pen to paper on what your brand is? Yes, yes, I have. I suppose the multiple times revised. Yeah, well, I'd say, yeah, yeah I, know, I know the feeling. Before you do that, revise your brand plan and then that'll be part of the brief you give to the uh, copywriter for the website. I, I do that just as a fail safe before you get into getting a new copywriter in. Yeah. So even if Olga has the best website in the world with the best copy, the best video, the best image, it's still the challenge of, how we bring traffic to Olga's site. What, what ideas do you have on that, Ben? Yeah, I think the most important thing before you even get to traffic is to make sure it's kind of like the analogy of, you know, before you invite people to the party, you want to actually build the house. And I think, you know, the website optimization stuff is so important before you go out there and spend any money on, on paid ads. One thing I also noticed, Olga, is your page loading speed is actually quite slow. There's a tool called uh, PageSpeed Insights by Google, and there's another tool called GC Metrics. And I think you were like 20-something on Google. So I'm, I'm not, I feel like a lot of sites have speed issues. So, you know, it, it's quite common. But no, I have checked that and it's quite image heavy. So that and it's built on a page builder, which also has a lot of code. So I suppose those kind of could be two reasons. So at this point, I'm not really sure what I could do to speed it up. Yeah, images were the big thing I say. Yep. Are you using any sort of optimization widget like Hummingbird or WP Rocket? Yeah, not those two, but there is um, uh, there is optimization widgets from my web host and also Cloudflare, yeah. which should make it more uh, faster uh, across the world. Yeah, I've tried a whole bunch, and I, I tore my hair out um, trying to work out what because my, my site was terrible, and then I ended up changing WordPress themes, which had a big impact actually. And then the plugin that I found has worked the best has been WP Rockets. WP what, sorry? Uh, WP Rocket has been the one that I found has worked the best. The thing I liked about it is one of the biggest uh, issues with page speed is if you've got Facebook and Google pixels installed on your site, they, they're a bit of a drag on load time. If you use WP Rocket, you can actually host that elsewhere and it cuts down on the load time. And that's one of the few ones I've found that actually has that. If you're using with firewalls, which I'm assuming you'll have something in place, WP Rocket can also integrate with that as well because firewalls can often slow down, particularly if your web host is using a proxy server because it's taking ages to load. Your bounce rate's going to be through the roof. So, And this is where you, know, you could use a site like Fiverr and get someone in there to you know, who, who does this all day long. And I've, I've done it as well. I'll get to a point where I'm like, okay, I've tried everything. I need an expert who just does this to have a look. So 
I had exactly the same problem with the Twopreneur site, and I actually used uh, as an alternative to Fiverr called Upwork, U-P-W-O-R-K. And what I really liked, so first of all, I found someone on there. It did cost me $200 in the end, but when I looked at $200 versus me pulling my hair out trying to fix this thing, I was, and he did a great job of it. So, you, you know, that's the other thing for entrepreneurs. You've got to balance your time and the stress with the, with the dollar amount. And what I like about Upwork.com, I've used them for a few things, is you can see reviews. You can also see how many jobs they've had on Upwork and the total dollar amount. And my advice with using Upwork is try to, you know, really make sure you're using someone who's had a lot of work and, and you know, earn some good money because there's a lot of people on there that, same with Fiverr, you've got to do your due diligence. But um, in the end, I just used Upwork and got someone and he did it in like, in like two hours. I was like, wow, he kept my loading speed in half. So that's another option. Okay. I'm going to be asking you for a recommendation. Yeah, sure. No, no, Absolutely. The only problem with Upwork and Fiverr, though, is you find these guys and they're great. And then, you know, because they're freelancers and then they disappear traveling around the world for six months. But you don't really need them because they're not an agency or something. But I've been lucky that I've got a couple of videographer mates in Melbourne. So I've literally just been, I've said to them, I'll pay you in beer, you know, if you can if you can video my tool for me. And I've kind of got to a stage now where if I ask them again, I'll, I'll have to actually pay them. But um, yeah, it's one of those things. It, it, it's, it's like a good mechanic, right? If you find a good one, you want to hold on to them. I guess moving on to the paid side of things, the one thing I'd say with paid media is it, it works like a funnel, right? So you've got, this is sort of the old marketing 101 stuff where people go through various phases. There's awareness can phase and consideration phases and purchase phases. And I think different marketing channels serve different purposes for different, different stages of the funnel. Where you want to start is at the very bottom of the funnel because that's kind of the low-hanging fruit. That's the, you know, you're targeting people who are already looking for tools or in the market for tools. You want to optimize the hell out of that first before you then start to move further up the funnel and start using other channels to target further up. And look, the best tool to target people at the bottom of the funnel is is still Google paid search. 85% of searches are Google. Bing has a little bit. Actually, on that point, Bing's, Bing's not a bad one to consider if, you, if you're going to run Google search ads because Bing's got a functionality where you can import your entire Google campaign into Bing with exactly the same settings. You don't have to do it twice. And then you can set a cadence where any changes you make to your Google ads, Bing will automatically download them so you don't have to keep changing them once they've once you've done the first import. So a lot of older people tend to use Bing because Bing tends to be integrated on on things like certain operating systems and, and TVs and devices. So, I mean, you should be on Google and then Bing's kind of the, the addition, but don't discount Bing as, a, as an opportunity. Sorry, is paid marketing something that you would do first while you're trying to grow your organic reach? You could do, yeah. I mean, certainly you can you know, walk and chew gum at the same time. I mean, you'll be working on your organic reach through optimizing your website, you know, doing some SEO work. And, and you know, I think your SEO work, you'll be looking at your on-page content. You'll be looking at things like metadata descriptions, title tags, all that kind of stuff. And then assuming you're using like a Google search console to get an insight into what kind of keywords people are putting in and what leads to clicks through. So yeah, you, you, you kind of do all that kind of stuff. But look, if you can't do it both at the same time, you definitely focus on the free marketing first, which is your SEO organic traffic. Again, once that's kind of optimized, then move on to your to your paid stuff. But if you can, try and do both at the same time. And I think you said you've tried Google Ads before, but haven't had much success. Is, is that right? Yeah. So what we wanted to try the Google Ads in, and I have, is in keywords such as Edinburgh walking tours, Edinburgh history tours, Edinburgh guided tours, that kind of thing. 
I've spent uh, yeah about 150 pounds uh, perhaps perhaps there was not enough uh, money put into this uh, but uh, we tried to see and there was uh, clicks but there were no conversions so after a month I kind of decided I I don't know what I'm doing and so I'll stop wasting my money so until I kind of figure out what was wrong or maybe um, look at uh, whether conversions were set up correctly or not. But uh, for now, I was just able to see that people do uh, go in there. The bounce rate was huge. So almost like people realized that that's not what they were looking for. And uh, the first, uh, second day, they just uh, get out of there. Some of them were quite decent page uh, sessions. So a minute, a minute and a half. But again, no conversions. So organic has always done a lot better. For now, I have uh, stopped that since it wasn't making any uh, any conversions. But uh, I'm kind of willing to to try again, but with uh, perhaps more understanding what I'm doing. And uh, I'm currently uh, working with just an account manager in Google to to help me uh, do it properly. Yeah, good. I was going to say because unlike Facebook, where um, it's pretty hard to get that kind of personalized advice, Google actually has. You, you can call them and you can get people to actually talk to you. And I work at a, at a big wine company and we spend a lot of money with Facebook and even we're lucky to get FaceTime with um, with Facebook sometimes, whereas Google seems to have a, a bit more of an emphasis on on sort of SMBs. So I guess with Google Ads, yeah, look, there's a couple of things. I mean, first of all, the bounce rates sound like, um, yeah, people landing and not finding what they're looking for. So that's kind of a conversion issue on the actual landing pages themselves. And then the other thing is the actual structure of the Google ads themselves. Because uh, look, to give you some very general advice here, your ad groups that sit under a campaign should be thematic and shouldn't have more than sort of 10 keywords per group. So you want to think about um, theming your groups together. So for example, uh, one of your groups might be for very specific searches around history tours in, in Edinburgh. And then another one might be more specifically for people looking for things to do in Edinburgh, sort of more of a general kind of group. So I guess um, have a think about how you thematically group searches together and then don't have more than seven or 10 keywords per group. The other thing I'd say is, and this is getting a bit into the sort of tactical weeds here, Google has different ways you can set up keywords and your Google app manager um, might've talked you through this, but there's different keyword types. So you've got things like broad match types, yeah. broad match, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. all that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I would just make sure that all of your keywords are broad match modifier, which means you put a little plus in front of each of the keywords. You'll get better results by having all your keywords as broad match modifier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from that, you can also take things off. Exactly. And I think if you've got, say, three or four ad groups under each campaign, then over time you can start to see you know, as you link that up with your Google Analytics account, you can start to see the whole journey. And, and, you know, first of all, which groups are getting you the cheapest clicks, which groups are getting higher bounce rates, and you can start to get a bit more insight into, into I guess, how they're working. But the biggest mistake people tend to make with Google Ads is they, they sort of lump all their keywords into one group, and then you've got no idea what themes are actually working, what themes um, aren't working. And the other thing you should think about as well is having dedicated landing pages for each of those groups, so if you've got one group that is very much around people looking for history tours, then the landing page copy should reflect that so that they feel like they've clicked on an ad and they're getting that. And then the next one might be, and you know, we spoke before, Shane, about the construction group, and there might be a separate ad group just for those people. So don't be afraid to be as niche as, as possible within reason, like because otherwise you won't get any any sort of traffic on those. But that's that's kind of the best way to structure them. And then for each group, you want to have 
sort of three ads to optimize because you can basically tell Google to optimize between the three ads and it'll automatically do that. Google's also got some fantastic abilities to set up dynamic ads where you can enter, you know, lines, five different copies, and then it'll automatically choose the, the combination that produces the lowest cost per click. So take advantage of those kinds of um, features as well. Yeah, I was just thinking, I mean, Google Ads, do you think that that is something that entrepreneurs should be learning themselves and, and playing around with? Or in your professional opinion, Ben, do you think Google Ads, again, is something that entrepreneurs should go out and get professional advice and work with someone who knows the ins and outs of it? Yeah, I mean, again, it comes down to time and budgets. I mean, um, I think if you're prepared to put in the time, uh, Google's got some fantastic free training. So there's Google Ads Academy where you can learn how to do this stuff. And the basics, I would suggest, if you've got eight hours, I think you can learn the basics. All marketing costs money. And whether you spend money as a commission with an OTA or whether you spend money on Google Ads to get that same you know, potential sale, I guess, is a is, is a bigger question. For me, I like the control of Google Ads versus um, relying on OCAs to drive traffic. One is that, you know, you, you can't rely on the OCA to promote your particular tour for a particular search. They've got huge amounts of inventory that they might serve up. So there's no guarantee that they're going to do yours unless, of course, it's a branded search, which which will then come up usually number one on TripAdvisor. I'm with most of the big OCAs and I still like to run Google Ads, even if I'm in competition, because I just like having that measure of control. So long answer short, I'd say I think it's good to learn the basics if you are short on time. And, and look, it's a confidence thing as well. I think if you have a bit of knowledge of advertising, I'd say you could definitely learn Google Ads. There's a few little quirky differences between the two, but generally there's a lot of similarities. So if you've got a bit of experience in that, I'd say absolutely there's nothing stopping you learning Google Ads. If you come from a completely non-marketing background and the learning curve is a bit steeper, it's a time benefit. I mean, if you can find someone to run ads for you at a reasonably cheap cost, then that's amazing. Um, the thing I'll say is that outsourcing social ads versus outsourcing Google ads, Google ads are much more time consuming to run and to optimize. One of the biggest reasons for that is uh, setting up what's called negative keywords. So, you know, while there are people you want to come to your website, there are also a lot of searches that might lead to clicks on your website you don't want. As an example, for my company, I don't want pub crawl people because I'm not a pub crawl company and, and typically those people can't afford my tools anyway. And I've had to set up negative keywords so that if they're looking for pub crawls Melbourne, then my tools don't come up because I just don't want those people. And, and I've found traffic doesn't lead to conversions anyway. So, you know, that kind of stuff takes a long time to optimise and generally... Uh, depending on the, the complexity and size of your campaign, you might be doing that forever. Well, it gets it gets quicker and easier. But um, with social ads, generally, I find the the amount of time to, to optimize those is, is less, which means if you're outsourcing it, then the you know the headcount for labor is just cheaper as well. So just keep in mind, outsourcing Google ads can be expensive, particularly if your media budgets are low. If you're paying someone as much money as you're spending on Google Ads, then you probably shouldn't be outsourcing. Did you know every weekday Shane curates the most interesting news articles in tours and activities and sends them out in a snappy daily digest? Grab your copy of the Torpreneur Daily Briefing at www.torpreneur.com. This might be hard for you to say, put a different vertical here, but what do you think? So Olga mentioned she spent £150 on her campaign. Do you think there is a minimum amount we should be looking at before we even touch this, Ben? It's all about scaling. I mean, you, you want to start small, get it working, and then you start increasing budget. So I'd say there's no limit 
well, there will, there will be limits eventually. You'll tap out to how much you can spend. But I think even if you want to start on something as low as $5 a day, and then like the thing is, in order to make a decision about whether this is working or not, you obviously need data, right? You need you need impressions and clicks and traffic to see whether this is working. So if you spend 5 bucks per day, it just means you'll get to those conclusions uh, a bit further in the future. Whereas, you know, if you're prepared to say, go, right, I'm going to spend 1000 bucks in a week, um, or two weeks, you'll get all that data in two weeks. Whereas if you want to go five bucks a day, it just means you won't be able to make a decision until further on. I, I would recommend going slowly, slowly. You start at five, you start to see what, what's working, what's not working, switch ads off, update keywords, then you up it to 10, then you up it to 15, but you don't start upping it until you are sure that it's actually working for you. One thing that you should keep in mind as well is that the journey to acquisition is, that, is never linear. So people will They'll search for you. They'll click on an ad. They'll go to your website. They'll leave. They'll then, they might jump on Google Organic, type it in, go back again. So very rarely does someone just go think, click, and then tick. They buy the tour. So often um, your Google ads might make you a sale, but according to the Google ads, it looks like you haven't made a conversion. So it can be quite misleading. So what you need, what you need to do is um, Google Analytics has a tool called Model Comparison. It's in the conversions area. And then you can go in there and you can set up different models. What this means is you can set up a model, for example, called Time Decay, so that all the touch points that uh, someone has gone through, whether it's organic search, whether it's paid, whether it's social, all of them get a bit of credit, but the first touch point gets the least. The second one gets a little bit more. The third one gets a bit more. And you can play around with those models to see what kind of attribution in terms of revenue gets attributed to Google Analytics. So for me, I've found that my ads typically give quite high ROI because I've got the model set up and I can see that even though people aren't necessarily buying straight after a click, they are coming back and they're making the purchase a bit later on and they wouldn't have made that purchase had they not clicked on my ads in the first place. Did you ever find that retargeting uh, works for tours? Oh, it's been really hit and miss for me. Look, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I've cracked the secret to retargeting for my for my business. Or tourism is a tricky one because it's such a fragmented space and there's so many options and uh, and different ways to to purchase. And but I guess the principles of retargeting remain the same. If someone has come to your website and they haven't made a purchase, there's a reason for that. They got um, usually it's they're not ready to buy right now. So I think if you are going to do retargeting, and Facebook's a great place to to start because Facebook is, is used by everyone, so you can hit them in the feed with with a retargeting offer. But think about what that message is, you know. So if you're retargeting someone on Facebook and Instagram, for example, that message has to be something that gets them back to make the purchase, and that message can be. Um, a percentage discount on tours if you're prepared to offer something, whether it's 10% or 15% off, something to draw them back. I mean, to me, that's the, that's the best way to get them back in. You can't just sort of retarget them. You need to give them a reason to come back. I guess if you're not prepared to give discounts, maybe something like um, an ad quoting one of your customers. So, you know, so the, maybe they left because they felt like um, they weren't sure if it was any good. So maybe if you retarget them with a, a quote from a customer and a nice video, then that could be a way to get them back. I've had more success with Facebook and Instagram rather than, um, you know, something like Google Display Network. Google Display Network, um, for those who don't know, it's sort of Google's way of buying ads across multiple websites across the web. It's a bit of an interesting one. It's, it's obviously a free one to use, but the inventory, it's not as good as some of the more premier networks out there that may not be relevant or you may not necessarily want to appear on. 
So I think for me, I think Facebook and Instagram retargeting is a good place to start. So if you're looking at setting up, I guess uh, you'd set up your Google ads and then set up some Facebook, Instagram retargeting to try and capture those people who um, have, have left your website and, and haven't made it. I purchase. think uh, we might need to run more episodes on, on Google ads and Facebook ads and, and really get into the weeds in it because I think we can go uh, many hours on this topic. Oh, yeah. It's uh, – <laughs> There's a whole bunch of theory around conversions and and setting up funnels and it's uh yeah it, it can do your head in there's a lot there's a lot there in terms of online partnerships so I, I'm just thinking you know Olga you you were talking about the non-public tours so construction professionals are there any organisations or associations have you reached out to any of them to say hey you know we we offer these tours for any of your members who are who are visiting Scotland I haven't yet so that's that's in the works yeah. Because, I mean, that's, that's targeted traffic. And, you know, a lot of these associations have magazines and, you know, internal bulletins, maybe, you know, some kind of story with them about what you're doing could be a way of getting in front of some of their members. Yes, exactly. That's something I've, uh, I've started uh, working on, but uh, it's, it's currently just in planning stage. So going to get out there. Uh, sometimes I just can't believe I haven't done something yet. You know, one of those things. So you've got a million things on your board and three years after like, oh, well, maybe this one was uh, the one I should have done first. Well, I think, and Ben, I'm sure you'll agree with me here. When you're a tourpreneur, there is a massive to-do list that <laughs> it grows and grows and grows, and you have oh. to decide, okay, what what's going to move the yep. needle here? Otherwise, you get yeah, yeah, yeah. It it it, it drives my wife absolutely insane because I'm the kind of person if I get an idea, I have to do it then. I sort of get this bee in my bonnet, and I, I have to, you know. And like, we we had a, a week off in Byron Bay, and we're in one of the most beautiful places in the world, and I'm like oh, hang on, I need like an hour. I kind of rush off to my laptop and make a few changes. And, and she's like, you're done? I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm done for now. I might have something else tomorrow. But yeah, it's, it, the list never ends. Absolutely. Any last bits of advice that you would like to share with us? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of quick ones. First of all, a quick hack for you, Olga, if you get into Google Ads, go to Google Analytics, see where, um, and you can find out where people have bought your tours from if they're based in, uh, in countries outside of Scotland. And then set up your Google ads to target those countries and even get down to a granular level where um, you might be targeting them based on, on city or state. I did this a while ago and I found some really interesting um, stuff on, you know, people in California or um, people in Wales and there was actually quite a, a lot of bookings and I was sort of wondering, you know, they, these are people who organically found my site but they made the booking while they were over there and I'm like, oh, well, maybe I can target them with Google Ads. So that's just a, a simple one where you're using the data you've got to then hopefully target people who might be you know, planning to come to Edinburgh while they're still in their current country. So that might be a, a nice thing to try out. The other thing I noticed is, oh, yeah, I was going to ask you. So um, I think it's great you've got the WhatsApp plugin for your website because I think allowing people to message you is brilliant while they're on site. The only thing I'd say is um, obviously not everyone uses WhatsApp and it might be good to have an app installed that is a bit more, I guess, agnostic. You know, there's tools like ChatMonkey or LiveChat or even the Facebook Messenger uh, has a plugin for, for websites where you can um, connect directly with your Facebook page. The only thing I'll say about the Facebook Messenger plugin, which frustrates the hell out of me, is it doesn't work on Safari, which is mental because that's the default for most people on mobile. So that's a, a bit of a warning for people that it's free and it's, it's pretty clean, it's pretty slick, but um, it won't appear on mobiles for Safari, which defeats the whole bloody purpose. But anyway... I'd have a look at something other than WhatsApp, just casting a bigger, wider net. And the other one I noticed as well, and this maybe um, 
shows my lack of understanding with Fair Harbor because I, I use Resi as my booking agent. But um, are you able to accept payments other than credit card? We can accept uh, payments uh, on on the phone, but that again will be uh, will be credit card. We don't generally allow people to pay cash, so that we just kind of reserve the money, and there is less uh, less incentive to to not show up. But yeah, no, generally not. What would you suggest to add? Yeah, I mean, I mean, one thing I made a change a while ago was adding PayPal as, as a payment option. I'm not sure if Fair Harbor allows that as a functionality, but um, again, I actually hired a UX expert to give me some advice, um, maxed out my knowledge. And his advice to me was, particularly in Europe, and he, he made this observation in Germany in particular, that a lot of people actually don't have a credit card. Oh, but it can be a debit card. It can be a debit card. It doesn't have to be a sure. credit card. Sure, sure, sure. But I mean, I guess with PayPal being such a widely accepted format, the thing I found is I added PayPal um, as an option and I'm probably getting about 30% of my bookings now through PayPal. Uh, you could argue, well, would those people have bought with credit card if I hadn't have given it as an option? And, you know, maybe some of them also have PayPal and credit card accounts. But um, the thing I found is I noticed uh, that people are, are definitely using PayPal to make payments. So I think, yeah, making it as easy as humanly possible for people to, to pay, you know, don't give them a reason not to book. And, and if for some people who don't have a credit card or debit card want PayPal, then that just might be the thing. Okay, that- uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have a look with Fair Harbor, whether that's something that they can uh, add to the payment options or maybe it's already there. It's just I haven't seen. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, I'm not sure. And to be fair, I didn't even know I could do that with Resty until I had a look. And then I'm like, oh, I can do it. And I could do all kinds of other stuff. So yeah, that's just a simple one that if you can do that. Fantastic. Well, Ben, Olga, thank you for coming on the show today. Olga, thank you for brave enough for being brave enough to ask for help. Because I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there that feel embarrassed to ask these questions when we shouldn't be. So, so thank you for that. And Ben, thank you for coming on and giving us an hour of your wisdom. And through your experience of digital marketing, we, we really appreciate it. And I'd love to invite you back on the show, both of you. So, you know, we've only kind of scratched the surface on your businesses here. I'd love to give the full deep dive on on both your tours on a future episode of the show. Ben, where can people find out more about your tours? Sure. So drinkinghistorytours.com. You can hit us up and make a booking. Uh, and we're also on social at Drinking History Tours on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, I'm not surprised you're getting bookings from my home country of Wales. We like a drink and we love history, so it doesn't surprise me. And we've got a, and we've got a whiskey tour, Shane, Please. so uh, we'd love to have you. <laughs> I will say. And Olga, where can people read up more about your tours? So, cobbletales.com uh, or just search Edinburgh Architecture Tour. We're just going to be up there. And yeah, so if you're coming to Edinburgh and you're curious to know how it has developed and the history of it, let us know. Fantastic. Again, thank you both for coming on. All the links, resources mentioned on today's episode, you can find at tourpreneur.com forward slash 31. And if you have a burning problem with your tour business, do drop me a note, go to the contact page or join us on Facebook and ask there. And I would love to uh, invite you on to the next session of Ask Ask the Expert and we can uh, diagnose your situation and come up with a prognosis that may help your business. So until next time, cheerio. Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.